Welcome to Morning Coffee and Mimosas. I'm Christina. And I'm Joe. We are a father-daughter duo. We come here Sunday mornings, but you can come here anytime you please. We banter about life, about business, and we do it over coffee and mimosas. Dad, you're not going to say good morning? <laughs> nope, not this morning. <laughs> I'm letting you start that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just do everything. Why don't I? <laughs> okay. Good morning, Dad. Good morning. Well, listeners, good morning to you all, too. As we mentioned last week, for those of you that listened, we have a start of a really powerful series. And my gosh, I feel really, really lucky that we have some of the guests that we have. Um, yeah, we really are blessed. Yeah. So today we're going to be speaking to Reg Green. And if any of you ever saw the movie Nicholas's Gift, it was starring Jamie Lee Curtis. That story was based off of the experience of Reg and his wife, Maggie, as they lost their son, Nicholas, back in 1994, while they were on vacation in Italy. And their car actually got gunned down by criminals by robbers a wild story he's since been the author of a book called the nicholas effect and written the book the gift that heals and now 27 years later we have the opportunity to sit down with reg and really talk about what that loss and how resilience has really impacted his life and helped him to carry forward you know, Dad, I feel like we are so lucky. And, and Reg, thank you so much for joining us because, man, as we start into our series on resilience, there's truly few stories that I have been so inspired by as we've learned and read about your experience. Yes. Can I call yeah. you dad too? You sure you can, yes. <laughs> you see on the podcast? You can call me granddad. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a deal. We are honored. So well, I'm delighted to uh, to be here too. So thank you for taking the interest in it. So, you know, thinking of resilience and the, usually there's a challenge or an impact, right? Or that moment for you, that was 1994. What did life look like before that? Do you remember who Reg was before that? Or, you know, how has, has life changed? I suppose, as you look back on kind of life pre and, and post that experience? I uh, had been married twice. I had a very happy first marriage, but then uh, we drifted apart. And it was then that I mar married uh, Maggie, my present wife. And we had two children, uh, Nicholas and, and Eleanor. Uh, Nicholas was then seven years old. She was uh, four years old. By she, I don't mean Maggie, I mean mm -hmm. uh, Eleanor was four right. years old uh, at that time. And I remember thinking on that very night when he was killed, how can anybody be so happy as I am? We were driving along uh, on vacation in the south of Italy on one of their motorways, the Autostrada. Everything was uh, normal until a car came up uh, behind us and then drove alongside us. For a moment, I didn't think anything of it, but it stayed there. And I thought to myself, there's something wrong here. 
And I said it half aloud. Maggie, who was snoozing, uh, woke up immediately. And she looked across and she saw two masked men in the car next to us. And one of them was waving a revolver. A moment later, the, the silence was broken by these hideous yells. Uh, the words were undistinguishable, but it was quite clear they wanted us to pull over and stop. It seemed to me that if we did, we'd be completely at their mercy. So instead I drove, I, I accelerated. Uh, they accelerated too. Uh, I floored the car, they floored theirs. And the two cars raced alongside each other for what seemed like an eternity, what probably was only half a minute or so. And then some shots rang out and the window the, by the rear, the, one of the rear side windows where the kids were asleep uh, was shattered, glass flying everywhere. Um, and Maggie uh, turned around to make sure that they were safe. There they were both strapped in there in their little car seats, both appearing to be sleeping peacefully. Uh, another shot came and our window, the driver's window was blown in. How that shot missed the two of us on the front seat, we'll never know. Uh, but by now we were doing what I was hoping. We were pulling away from them and from being alongside, I saw them next in the wing mirror and then in the rear mirror. And then they disappeared back into the night. We got away with it. I roared, kept on at top speed because after all, who knew if they might come back or not. And as it happened, there'd been an accident on the road. The police were there, there was an ambulance. I pulled in and I opened the door Told the police who were saying, move on, move on uh, to us what had happened. And as the interior light came on, Nicholas didn't move. Uh, I looked closer and saw his tongue was sticking out. And there was a little trace of vomit on his chin. I was un unbelieving uh, at that moment. Well, one of those shots had hit him. Um, he was rushed into, into the ambulance that was there and they took off, left us by the side of the road. Uh, I'd never known such bleakness in my whole life. The police then came and took us to the hospital where they had taken him. And when we got there, it looked like the whole of the medical staff of the hospital were standing there. Uh, and the ambulance was there. I looked inside the ambulance and there he was, face freshly washed, looked as though he was just going to sleep, going to bed. And then they told us he was so badly injured that in that little hospital, they couldn't do anything and he would have to be taken along to another hospital two or three hours further on to see what they could do. Um, of course, for those two or three hours, we 
we hoped and I don't pray, but uh, I came as near to praying as I've ever done. We got to the next hospital. Once again, the medical staff greeted us and the chief neurologist said, the situation is very dramatic. And I, all the hopes that I'd been building up in that time all collapsed. It was quite clear that um, he was very close to death. Um, they tried and did everything they could. But two days later, he was declared brain dead. And um, it seemed my whole world had changed. Maggie and I sat there holding hands and asked them if they were sure. They said, yes, we are sure, but we'll try again in 40 minutes. We'll do some more testing and uh, uh, we'll be able to tell you definitively then uh, whether he's, uh, he can make it or not. Those 40 minutes went by in a nightmare and at the end of that time, they came in and shook their heads and said, no, there's no brain activity. Everything looked black. There was no, there's no good in it at all. There was no sense in it. I mean, he, here he was seven years old, a beautiful, handsome, intelligent, imaginative, hopeful little boy. And all that future had just suddenly disappeared. And it was at that point that Maggie, with the presence of mind that uh, I know her for, said, um, now that he's gone, shouldn't we uh, donate his organs? And I saw for the very first time since he'd been shot in those two days that something good could come out of this after all. Um, and so I said, yes. Uh, we asked the doctors to come over and told them that this is what we wanted to do. And that was all there was to it. It was just so clear to us that if we did nothing, there would nothing would come from this. On the other hand, we could help save uh, someone else and something good could, could come out of it. I think it's incredible you spoke a little bit about, I think, in, in the excerpt that you shared about the fact that Nicholas was a giving boy and generous and what an amazing, what an amazing legacy you really allowed him to leave on through, through that, that he was able to have, you know, really a life of work through helping others and giving even after he wasn't here to see it. Yes. I mean, we, we had never talked about organ donation, though privately, both of us had thought, obviously, it's the right thing to do. But um, we were very ignorant about it. I was, anyway. And so uh, when they told us that seven people had been given his body parts, it was difficult for me to think, what, what could it, how, how could a little child like this uh, have such an effect on it all. I had to go through the things. There were two corneas, two kidneys, there was a liver, a heart. And um, when I added it up, yeah, there were, there were seven. 
What it meant was that uh, five of them who were very close to death suddenly were given a new life. One, in fact, was dying that very night. The doctor whom we met later told us that um, uh, they'd given up on her. Uh, her, her family had gathered at the hospital and just like us with, with Nicholas, there was nothing more to hope for. Well, when she woke up, which she did instead of dying, uh, she had a new liver. Two years later, she got married to her uh -huh. uh, childhood uh, sweetheart. And two years after that, she had a baby. That's so incredible. Um, and they called him Nicholas. Oh. <laughs> so um, there was a direct um, a connection there between mm -hmm. uh, between them. Four of the uh, four of the seven were teenagers, so um, young life was being spread uh, all, uh, all the time. And then the other two were going blind, and they were the ones who who got the corneas, and after that could see and can still see twenty seven years later, uh, as as they can now. That's so amazing. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, um, in our opening episode, which went this past Sunday, that's where we introduced resilience, and we talked about, and I used just a compared to this, a silly example of when I I broke my shoulder, but the fact that when this stuff happens, it's kind of um, like if somebody punched you. You know, you get punched in the stomach, right? You can't breathe. You you may have fallen over. You're disoriented, unbelieving what just happened, and it's in that moment that I'm, as you're talking, that's the moment that you pivoted to organ donation. You know that pivot. Can you think back to what made you be able in that worst moment of your lives be able to do that pivot? Because I think that's the one of the essences of people who have tragedies that happen and how do you rescue yourself from that and then go on? As I said, it was Maggie's suggestion that mm -hmm. we did this. If, if we'd been asked, um, I would have said yes for, by the doctors, but I don't think they would have asked us because, you know, it was such a a dramatic thing mm -hmm. to occur. Uh, an innocent child, never done any harm to anybody in his life, a foreigner in your in your country, it out on the no no provocation whatsoever. So I think that they would have ducked uh, asking us the question. But when Maggie said it, uh, it all became so very clear to me that instead of the bleakness and the hopelessness and the the meaningless of uh, uh, of what had happened there, there could be something that, that could come out of this um that would raise it from that level into something productive mm -hmm. uh, and that has what has kept uh, uh, me, at any rate, uh, uh, going all this time, the sense that all these lives humming along now, they've got all got problems. They, two of them have been divorced. Two of them have died. 
they have had innumerable small problems throughout uh, that time, but they're alive. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're enjoying uh, really every day, probably as Pete must have told you, mm-hmm. every day he, th- he says thank you to, to someone, to the sky, to his <laughs> God, to whoever it is, right. to that um, this thing could be. Now, in our case, uh, it wasn't just the seven the effect on Italy was absolutely riveting. The prime minister asked to see us, the, the president of Italy asked to see us. We were on all the, the talk shows at the time, and millions of people got the message that uh, when something like this happens, you don't have to, to fold, you don't have to uh, just give in to despair you can do something about it. And what happened in Italy was that organ donation rates immediately went up. Within the next day or two, people were giving, uh, making donations that they wouldn't otherwise have done. Uh, And so in the next two or three weeks, organ donation went up by 30%. And that was what was called by the Italian media, the Nicholas effect. Uh, in the next 10 years, donation rates in, um, in Italy tripled, uh, whereas when in normal times, uh, if it goes up 1% or 2%, it's a cause for celebration. Mm-hmm. So it, it remade the whole of Italian um, culture, one might say, towards this event uh, organ donation, instead of being something so remote that you never thought about it, now became something that uh, you did think about. You didn't always do it because there are all sorts of reasons why people don't do it. But um, so many people did that it changed the whole face in that country. And then by extension, uh, all over the world. Uh, organ donation rates went up and literally thousands of people are alive who would have died. It's true. It's, it's not seven. The seven, the seven, it's an exponential number um, right. from the awareness and everything else. Even to, I, I know here in New Jersey, in the United States, and I think all 50 states, your driver's license, you know, when you get your driver's license, they ask you, you know, would you want to be an organ donator? Donate, donor yes. came and talked, but right. so it's on my driver's license. So God forbid something happens, they, they take the license out. This is what's going to happen. You know, so right. You you should also, if I could suggest it, mm-hmm. register as a donor if you haven't already. I, done I did it. that. Yes. Yeah. Because in many cases, that driver's license can't be found because brain death is normally sudden death. It's a blow to the head, um, and that can be a car accident or it can be violence, uh, as, as in our case. So people have no preparation for it. And all those things that people think of doing beforehand, like having that license available uh, for them, or um, in an accident, you're taken away, you're separated. Right, that's a good point. Everything. So, but if you're registered, which you uh, apparently are, they simply look the name up. They say, say, oh yes, 
uh, he is a good citizen. He said he was he would do it. The family is there. They ask them, which they're required to do. But your wishes are legally binding. Mm-hmm. So they, um, unless the uh, the family strenuously objects to it, which only a few of them do, when they know that this is what you wanted to do, right. then almost all of them say, of course, why, why wouldn't we do that? So then it happens automatically. That's a good point. Thanks for pointing that out. So Raj... As you, you know, were, were going through all of this, you had, you still had Eleanor, right? A four-year-old. How did you, as you were dealing with such pain and hardship, how did you and Maggie keep the spirit and magic of childhood alive for your daughter as, as she continued on? I remember um, somebody writing to us from, from Italy saying uh, your wife must have a very strong back because I've never seen a picture of her without her holding uh, <laughs> Eleanor. Um, and so um, I think the problem for parents at that stage is to maintain the love that you had before, but not to change it. There's a temptation to either retreat into yourself because you're so shocked and things and neglect the, the child or alternative to make more of a fuss of them than you would otherwise have done, you know, and become a little bit ins- insincere. Children, of course, are very smart. They, they can tell that. So that the thought was, let's keep life for Eleanor just as it was uh, before, her knowing, her having complete faith that we loved her and that this didn't make any difference to the way that, uh, that, that we felt. After a year or two, however, uh, we began to think that being an only child was not a good thing. Here she'd had this elder brother who she adored, and uh, she was growing up. She wasn't lonely, I don't think, but the house was emptier than it had been before. Uh, and so we decided to to have uh, a child, and uh, we were rewarded by not one child, but two. Oh. We had twins. Oh, and, that's wonderful. Uh, they filled up the house <laughs> uh, uh, like nothing else you could uh, imagine and so on. And she, of course, was absolutely ecstatic when to have these children. She, she became the little mother. Uh, I, I remember uh, just a, a few months later uh, when I was changing one of the napkins, her saying, oh, no, Daddy, not like that. Let me do it. <laughs> like my wife you know they're all the same (laughs) I I, I won't agree to that on this uh, episode here so I don't get my wife (laughs) so you very much stepped into action right like you you didn't let a horrible situation define what your future was going to be you certainly lived with purpose and honored your son Nicholas's legacy 
every single year, every single day. But I, I feel like just listening to you and, you know, what, what came next, you very much stepped into life and said, you know what, I need to, action is going to keep things moving forward and keep you focused on, you know, ha still having a life and a good life for you and the rest of your family. Yes, I mean, we didn't have much choice, I'd say. The, the letters that came in from all over the world, I mean, there were, there were hundreds of them, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And a lot of them were extremely personal. They would say things like, I've never told anyone this before, but so-and-so, or, or, you know, this is, um, this is quite um, a wrench for me. One of them said, I remember, I've never uh, written to a stranger before but I feel I know you. And so, so these were things were coming in. And I determined at that point that if these people, these complete strangers would write to you out of the blue like this, it was imperative that you replied to them. And for the first week or so, I, because it was, the numbers were so overwhelming, I wrote a, a kind of form letter, you know, thank you very much for writing to us. Um, it's, yes, we're, you know, whenever I say we, we, we're, we're making the best of it and uh, we're very grateful to you for, but the letters were so personal that I found I couldn't do it. Um, I felt I had to reply in, in response to them saying, yes, I had that feeling too, or I wonder if this would help when they, they'd said something. I feel very, you know, some would say, in, particularly in, um, in, in broken English sometimes, they were very affecting. One of them said to me, uh, I had a, a, a daughter and she wasn't feeling well. And then one day she suicided. Mm. I've left. I've left the room. I just as it was. I don't go into it anymore. And so, with letters like that, you know, one had to to give them comfort or to try to push them in a different direction from the one they were going into. So, in that time, I mean, those hundreds have grown to thousands, and it may be that I've missed a few because, you know, things happen like that. But I would say that 99% of them I've sent a letter or more like, more like an email these days uh, back to them to say, you know, this is how we feel too. And, and a lot of those people then write back. And um, I've got friends now really all over the world. Some I've met, some I've not met. Uh, but we keep up a conversation to keep letting each other know how things are going and whether the pandemic has, has changed our lives much and, you know, are we coping with this and are the recipients still alive? You know, a hundred topics that, that we have to talk about, almost as, as though we were old friends. It's incredible. It's yeah. So, so this this network that you've built of common experiences or interest or just a deeper connection has been something that obviously 
has helped others, but has helped you through your life and, and coping and, you know, continuing to move forward as well? Yes, it has certainly helped us. Uh, knowing that the original seven uh, lasted so long, um, two of them died, but only three or four years ago. So they had 20, 20 more years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been in touch with their, with their families. Um, Nicholas, for example, the new Nicholas, they, they thought of him originally. They called him Little Nicholas because they told him about the boy who had saved his life. And that boy uh, was looking after him, was like, like a sort of guardian angel. So this was our Nicholas looking after little Nicholas. Well, now little Nicholas is 19 or 20 years old. And our our, uh, big Nicholas would be like a little shrimp uh, (laughs) uh, to him. Uh, But uh, that Nicholas, that little Nicholas is uh, in a family that's had uh, liver problems uh, for a long time. He is fit enough to join the Navy, the Italian Navy. And he's a non-commissioned officer in that, um, strong enough to have a life at sea. Wow. Wow, that's pretty strong. (laughs) I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Oh, that's Um, wonderful. We've met, um, I say we've met uh, all the others. Uh, The little boy who got the heart. He'd been in and out of hospital all his life. His heart, was, he had a congenital heart disease from birth and uh, was having two blood transfusions a week oh. in the days before the, the transplant. So clearly he, he was, um, his life to all intents and purposes was, uh, was over. I met his cousin they were all very close uh, very tight relationship i met his cousin in uh, in italy a couple of years ago and she told me that uh, he used to tell people that until the transplant he had an old worn out jalopy inside him now he said i have a ferrari oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that I love that. So we have a lot of fun with these people. You know, it's it's not Wonderful. a mournful it's not a mournful relationship. Mm-hmm. We we don't cry on each other's shoulders and so on. So what well, we I mean, we do cry. We cry in front of each other. But uh, mostly those conversations are are very upbeat and very uh, optimistic about life ahead not just their life and our life but like life as a whole it's um i think i mean the big thing to me about organ donation of course is that it saves lives that's by far the, the biggest thing that's happened but in addition to that it makes people feel that there's a connection between humanity that doesn't depend on them knowing each other and agreeing with each other and both being members of the same church or so on. You, I mean, you, you don't know, of course, when you donate the organs, who it's going to. It could be to, to anyone, 
people of a different faith uh, from you, people who you probably wouldn't get along with uh, beforehand. But now there are many white uh, women going through life um, uh, with black um, uh, women's hearts inside them Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Uh, There are um, Hispanics breathing through Italian lungs mm-hmm. and Caucasian lungs. There are even Democrats with Republican hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, or who see the world through um, Democratic corneas. Right, right. <laughs> so. I love that. That is wonderful. Um, it, it really does show, and really it breaks down prejudice. You, you can't be prejudiced, you know, racially or, or ethnically or anyway, when when you realize that we all have hearts and lungs and and and, and well, everyone's heart matter. beats the same, it does, right? It beats and the our same. eyes see the same. That was a beautiful statement. That you made. was really yeah. a powerful statement. And I would imagine, though, in the face of such an awful tragedy, and in that moment in 1994 when you couldn't see past darkness, right? Just how big your world has gotten from that day forward now expanding i mean all the people that that your life has intersected with through the gift of nicholas mm-hmm. and just you know sharing that and and just the the expansive view of humanity that you have been a part of must must just be incredible i mean at one time when we started on this thing nobody was interested in organ donation. Nobody knew what it meant, really. And the ones who did think about it thought of it as a sort of weird thing, something a little bit uncomfortable to deal with, like making a will. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, sh- you, you shied away from it. Uh, Nicholas's death at a stroke um, changed that for millions of people. Instead of it being something furtive and dark, it became a, a tribute to life. It, it became a way of, of raising people up rather than depressing them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, you, you know, Reg, I was, I was going to ask you as we you know, kind of wrap this up a little bit, but I was going to ask you what, and I think you just gave us the answer, so <laughs> it was great, what lessons... You know, what, what are some of the lessons our listeners can take from this, even outside of organ donation, outside of, you know, in their lives as they have struggles, financially, physically, illness, loss, um, loss right? One of the uh, letters that we got, I often think about, and I, I've told this story many times, and Nicholas loved very classical stories. I mean, for a seven-year-old, it was amazing uh, to me. We fed him with uh, all the the myths of Ulysses beforehand, you know, and the fighting with the with the uh, dragons, or the way that people acted nobly and saved um, each other, and so on. So when the story broke. This was one of the things that, that came out, that how much he loved those, those classical uh, pieces. And we, um, one of the people that um, we talked to, we discussed 
what it was like to be a Roman soldier. We told them that when we were on the way to Italy, we had told him a, a story in which he was a Roman general returning to Rome after many years serving on the frontiers of, of Rome, all places where he'd been, Hadrian's Wall in, in the north mm -hmm. of England, for example, or uh, France, where Caesar had launched his invasion in, into England. And um, uh, we, we told him uh, all this. And so they had a vision in their mind about, about him. And so I was able to tell them that when he, he died, the, the truth of all this came back. It was a story we told him, you're this Roman general, but it came true. People did write songs about him. They did cheer his name when he was, uh, his name uh, was mentioned. And so the love that had been poured into that story did in fact come true. Wow. That's incredible. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Reg. Okay. I was a delight to do it. Wow. You were, um, you were so very uh, sympathetic and the questions were, were the kind that brought back a lot of memories to me. And so it was wonderfully spontaneous. Oh, thank you for sharing yeah. your heart with us. And thank you for sharing the legacy of Nicholas with us. We're so honored to have been able to spend time together yes. and get to meet you. Thank you. And now you have yeah. a couple of friends in New Jersey. I'm sure yes. you have others. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to be your pen pals, too. <laughs> Although sunny yeah. California looks very, very, very nice. <laughs> yes, it, it is wonderful. All right, folks. Thank well, you thank so you. much, Reg. Thank you so much. We will be in touch. Listeners, thanks for staying with us. Reg was so incredible. And I mean, 90 years old, sharp as a tack, and we couldn't have enjoyed our time with him more. I certainly feel inspired. And, um, you know, I'm going to approach this week with a whole new sense of resilience and optimism, regardless of what life throws my way. I don't know about you, Dad. No, absolutely. Same here. So listeners, if you want to engage with his story deeper, you can go to nicholasgreen.org. There's the Nicholas Green Foundation, and you can learn more about organ donation and just the impact that that has on so many lives. And if you liked what you heard here today, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, leave us a review. We always like to hear from you. Wherever you are, whatever your story, thanks for spending time with us this morning. Now, go and make a difference in your world. Dad, something about that story just makes me want to give you a hug. Aw, thank you. Very thankful for I'll you. Love you back. Thankful for you, too. Love you. Love you, too. Sorry to, we just got so corny there, guys, but <laughs> I'm all in my feelings from that episode. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.